This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Here we We go. I have a question for you. (gasps) I might have an answer. What if, you know how they do like last, I don't remember what it's called, last meals? Uh Uh-huh. When you're in prison. You're going to die. And they're Mm -hmm. like, what do you want though for dinner? Duh. Uh, Before you die. What, do you ever think what yours would be? 120 bajillion percent. Everybody thinks that, right? Especially when you hear, when you are doing research on a story and they're like, what the guy's last meal was. I mean, often they don't list that now that I think about I it. Feel but like I feel like they do. Know. No, I, I would think, always like to know. I think recently when I've read articles on death row, they list their last meals. Yeah. What great press coverage, too, if it was like, you know, here's here's my tentative last meal situation. Is this your Because I've thought about this. Yeah, yeah. I've I'm just curious. questions. I've asked friends. I've asked family. I know my sisters. I think what's hard sure. is I don't love it when I read one. I'm going to tell you this before you answer so that you can keep it in mind and mm-hmm. maybe adapt um, to my <laughs> needs. What I want you to know is have whatever you want. Sky's the limit. Don't be wasteful. I don't love it when I hear that somebody's last meal was... A lobster, a steak, a bucket of fried chicken, three mashed potatoes, broccoli. It's uh, your last meal. But but I'm also like, broccoli you're not that, on that. Uh, you're right. They nobody would do that. I was just trying to round it out uh, for them. <laughs> you're trying to give them like the you full their food tummy pyramid. to hurt. Um, you know what? But you know what I mean. I'm what I'm saying is Ooh, that's I a don't good think it's okay to pick like 19 things and have a bite of each. Because I don't imagine. Uh, well, actually, that's a good question. Where do the leftovers go? <laughs> What would I do? I mean... And is that what the show The Leftovers is about? I haven't seen it. For sure. For sure it is. Definitely one part of the meal would be my dad's Thanksgiving stuffing. Oh, wonderful. That is the best. It's I like, like that you asked very specifically for your dad to make it because maybe he could put like a sneaky key inside it. Like, you <laughs> well, know. the antidote. Yeah, the antidote. You know, so it's like a pork sausage, sage, Ooh. Um, onion, celery. It's not vegetarian and it doesn't. Love it. It's not cubey. It's Basically a moist, savory bread pudding. He, I think he soaks it overnight in milk and it just that sounds incredible. gets gooey. And I have the worst gas after I eat it usually. So jokes on the executioner. Um, I think, okay, Ruth's Chris. Do you know Ruth's Chris? No, I have no idea what you're saying. It's a steakhouse. Oh, okay. So they have this dish on there that is a... Um, it's so fucking good. It's a sweet potato casserole that's mm-hmm. basically like a little bit of sweet potatoes, but mostly it's sugar and butter and covered in pecans. And I don't get it for dinner, even though they serve it at dinner. I get it for dessert with a scoop of ice cream on it. And it's the most incredible dessert. So I probably would have that for dessert. 
either an old-fashioned or a dirty martini pending season. Of course. Maybe a pickle-tini. Oof. I mean, oof, yeah, that sounds delightful. <sighs> Maybe, like, a really fucking good burger. Oh, nice. And Just like keep it burger. classic. I don't know. Like, it's got to be a groundbreaking burger for it to be my last meal. I do like a certain fried chicken. I don't know. I mean, I... But you see, you've gone overboard. No, I haven't. I've picked a protein. The stuffing is a side. I have a dessert. I probably would do a potato as well because I'm Irish and I have to honor my heritage. On the way out the door, sure. On the way out the door. I like a mashed potato, but I think... Not a French fry. I love a French fry. No, I'm just thinking out loud. I probably would do a mix. Oh. Oh, okay. I would probably have... Like a loaded baked cheddar garlic baked potato, mm-hmm. like a twice baked cheddar garlic potato. That sounds really good. I like a potato skin. That's with the bacon and, and cheese cooked in. Ooh, and throw some sour cream on it. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Delight. I mean, basically, my last. Oh, it's so good. It's just kind of like a fancy Thanksgiving because the stuffing. I don't know with like a sweet potato and a potato and. Let's I just do say love like green bean casserole. No one too. ever knows. I said it. Oh God. I love green bean casserole. Get out of here. Leave. Leave. Me and my cousins, we like fight over it every year. We freak out every year. We go, oh, God, if someone doesn't fucks up that green bean casserole, we get really angry. Do do me a favor. Don't ever bring a green bean casserole to this house. You'll not be allowed over the threshold. I will 100% bring a green bean casserole. It's not wanted. You don't love a cream of mushroom soup? I don't want that in my home. Why not? I don't like that. I don't like the smell of it. I don't like the look of it. Looks like a barf. It does look barfy. Do you know my aunt? Singular. I, my aunt. My aunt makes a broccoli cheese casserole where literally. That I like. No, you wouldn't. It's frozen shredded broccoli. I don't like that wait, at all. With a whole stick of Velveeta. Oh, my God. <laughs> what is wrong with people? I'm from the Midwest, baby. That is an essential fucking food. I, I'm from the Midwest. No, you're not. Denver's not the Midwest? No. Yeah. I don't buy it. I think that's more westward. Dear hell. readers, weigh in. Get, mm. Shoot, shoot me an email. What's your last meal? Um, definitely appetizers would be seafood heavy. Same. Um, there would be some maybe. sort of uni uh, situation. There'd be definitely a uh, scallop roll. I like um, you go raw sushi. scallop even. You know, it's just I'd go like very heavy sushi. I'd go. Oh, I like uh, that idea. Roy's this restaurant. Roy's that's Hawaiian fusion has a ahi that has a spicy mustard sauce. That'd be there, and then my main meal because I'm on the way out would be something I think would give me a tummy ache. Like, yeah, and send me straight to hell like a venison or something <laughs> situation. Uh, Why would a venison send you straight? Isn't to that hell? like the baby? No veal. No, veal is baby cow. Isn't venison, or venison's just deer, maybe. Yeah, venison, I think, is just deer. I think venison because I like I the way the gras. word sounds. Foie, oh, oh the, yeah, it'd be like a venison dipped in foie gras. Wait, have you For had my the, side, I would have your dad's stuffing. Yeah, you should. It's fucking It's a delightful. done deal. It's so good. I'm gonna, I should make it, and we should try it. Oh, I would it's never, so ever say no to that. <laughs> and then dessert, I would have to have two desserts. I'm kind of a dessert person when they're great. Uh, I would like a chocolate molten cake with a side of vanilla. You mean the one we had at your birthday? I don't want them touching. I don't want the vanilla to melt prematurely. I want to get each bite just right. I love this. I love a molten chocolate cake. Yeah. I do. I also love a funfetti cake. And then there'd be some dessert featuring a passion fruit or if you're from Hawaii, a lilikoi sort of flavor Mm, would happen. 
God, now I'm really fucking hungry. This is a food podcast. <laughs> it's a food podcast if you're just tuning in. No, guys, welcome to Truly. Darkly. Greenly. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And we are in love with you. We are in love with we you. We waited till today to say it. We've been trying to get up the courage. And you know what? We said it. Feeling good. Looking good and feeling good today. The only thing I did have, I did actually want to poll our readers about what they think. Mm. So I was talking to my mom today via FaceTime. And she goes, you know, I really got to listen to your podcast. I go, yeah, it would be really nice to listen to my podcast. She goes, they're really long. (laughs) And she goes, I think it's just like an hour is a long time, Carrie. And I go, well, mom, it's two stories. It takes a minute to tell two stories of something truly darkly creepy. And she goes, I don't know, maybe just do one. (laughs) You know what? We, we're we not going to reformat the podcast for but her, but I could goes, suggest she just turns it into two sittings. My mom, she goes, no, 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 let's, let's, let's take a poll. Ask your, ask your audience if they want one. So if anybody wants us to just if do anyone one feels story. The same, if anyone's feeling like this is, the time is ticking, like these ladies. It's just, it's Enough's great. enough. This is what family is for. Mm-hmm. It's for them to sort of put you down in a way that keeps you grounded. Oh, Wow. I love so that. My mom, her proposal is one one story is enough. Actually, um, what's your mom's name? <laughs> Kathy. Yeah. Email us if you're Team Kathy, and email us if you're Team. What we've been doing. <laughs> team, what we've been doing. That has a really nice ring to it, team, doesn't it? What the fuck we've been doing? <laughs> yeah. Team, what the fuck we've been doing? Team Kathy. Let us know. And I go, Mom, we have some listeners, and she goes, Yeah, but I want to see the numbers go up. <laughs> oh, that's rough. We will always find a way she to has, disappoint you, she Kathy. She has not listened. She doesn't know what I'm talking about, and yet she still has notes, which is what I love. She just, she's like, I, I got as far as looking. She's at like, it. listen, I, I haven't <laughs> listened to your podcast, but I've got some notes. Exactly right. That's great. That's exactly right. Lest we forget the voicemail of 2018. Oh my! One day we'll play it, dear One readers, we'll play and it, you dear will readers. all lose your minds. I don't know when, with but joy. It's my favorite. I it's going in something. I don't know what to tell you. <clears throat> um, I think sh- you are first. I think I'm first. Do you like going first? Um, I like that we alternate. I do too. Yeah, I like to mix it up. Oh, will you do me a fun favor to start this one off? If this is another fucking script. No, 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 no. Yeah, I know. Last time that (laughs) was really dark. Um, What I need you to do is ask me, you know, the main questions. Who, where, what, when, why? Yes. I need you to ask me each one and I'll answer it and then I will begin my story. Okay. Who? (laughs) Sorry. Stop, stop. (laughs) (laughs) You did such a posy who? I just asked Quinn who and she took a minute and looked at me and then just looked right at her notes. How do you not know? You asked me to ask you five questions and you're not off book? (laughs) And you even went like this. Dear readers, I wish I want to make a gif. Well, I wrote them out, but not in the order you asked. I didn't know which one you'd ask first. What, what, what order is it? What, where, when, who, what? Like, what? No, it's ask who, me however where, you want. Why? Okay, you said who. The who is. Okay, wait, we'll do it again. Hey, Quinn. <laughs> it was very funny. Okay, okay, okay. okay Quinn. Yes. Who? Ronald DeFeo Jr., a 23-year-old who lives at home with his four siblings and parents. What? He shot and murdered his entire family as they slept. Where? 
112 Ocean Avenue, a large Dutch colonial house situated in a suburban neighborhood on the south shore of Long Island in New York. When? November 13th, 1974, around 3.15 in the morning. Okay, my favorite question. Why? DeFeo had said that he heard voices in the home telling him to murder his parents, brother, and sister. How? A 35 caliber lever action Marlin 336C rifle. <laughs> I okay. know 0% about guns. I am buckling in and I'm ready to go. Let's go. Join me. I am deliberately not going to tell you any titles here. And I'm not even going to tell you where I got my information till the end because let's just go on this ride together. Have I heard of this story before? 100%. What's but his you're going to be like, what? No, trust me. You're not going to know it for a long while. Great. And Can't then wait. you're going to suddenly maybe know it. So Robert, the shooter, the brother, mm-hmm. cleans up after he's killed his family. And he actually goes to work. And that's on Wednesday. The same day after work, he goes to Henry's bar and says to everybody, you got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Ronald Jr.'s parents were Ronald DeFeo Sr., he was 44, and Louise DeFeo, 42, and his four siblings were Don, 18, Allison, 13, Mark, 12, and John Matthew, 9. He killed all of them. Mm-hmm. They were all found lying face down in bed, <clears throat> and DeFeo tells the police he thinks that it was a mob killing. So, Why do people always say mob killing? Because it's easy to blame the mob. Also, well, they did Island. know mobsters. He's actually. in Long Island. They legit knew mobsters. Okay. Um, in fact, he's really specific. I think he's like, it was a mob hitman, Louis Fellini. Uh, that just sounds like a name. <laughs> yeah. Louis Fellini. Exactly. We're like, you made that up. Amen. So they interview him, and just like we saw with the Menendez brothers... There was all these inconsistencies that keep coming up. There always is inconsistencies. And he gives right away. Like, he essentially, quickly is like, you know what? Actually, just, I definitely did it. And he said, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. So he said afterwards, he took a bath. He redressed. He explained where he discarded evidence like his clothes and the gun. Um, And he pleads insanity. But the prosecution is like... This guy's a drug user, serious drug user, and he has an antisocial personality disorder. But he absolutely knew what he was doing and knew that it was wrong. He's not he's not cuckoo. He's just a psycho. Hmm. There you go. That's my verdict. <laughs> not cuckoo, just a psycho. A psychopath, I think, is different than cuckoo, right? Um, I don't think you can plead insanity as a psychopath. I have no idea. I have no idea either. A sociopath. That's maybe. what we, we talked to Larry. No, a sociopath still has an awareness of what's wrong. Exactly. He knew what was wrong. I, I think mean, a psychopath he, knows what, what's wrong he too. He knew what was going on. So he's convicted of second degree murder in November 75. He's given six life sentences, and today mm-hmm. he's still serving time in a New York prison. We'll see. So since his conviction, he pretty much got into the art of creative writing and started rewriting his story over and over and over again. In 1986, in an interview for Newsday, he says his sister Dawn actually killed their father is what happens. And then his mom was so distraught about it that she just 
killed all his siblings as a response, like you do. And then he, kind of being the good guy in the equation, was like, "Uh uh-uh, and killed his mother. Which, when I picture all of those killings with the same gun, it just reminds me of the shooting or Dear Sister. (laughs) Have you seen that sketch on SNL? Dear sister? It's like the, to the song, like, mm, what you say? Yeah. And they keep just like, everyone <laughs> shoots each other in it. It reminds me so much of that. <laughs> Watch that sketch of you. Isn't it, it based on the OC, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, but please, dear readers, do yourself a favor and Google uh, Dear Sister we SNL. put it in our stories or something. Yes. So anyway, um, he says that he actually just took the reason he said he did it to begin with, that he had done all of it, was that he was afraid to say anything negative about his mother because he was afraid of his mom's father. He was afraid his mom's father would kill him. His grandpa would kill him, which seems like a really protective father, that he, that he would kill him for saying anything negative about his mom. He probably would kill him for saying a lie about his for mom. killing his mom. <laughs> yeah. He was also afraid of his father's uncle who was a member of the Genovese crime family, Mm. which obviously they have a very scary history, including the invention of Pesto Genovese. I was about to say, that was what I was going to say. Doesn't it make you think of that? Genovese, I was like, "Mm, they make Mm. a damn good pasta. Not as good as our favorite Kirkland's pasta pesto from Costco. Yeah, the Kirkland family went against the Genovese. Sure, Genovese, you might kill people. Kirkland, you make fucking dope-ass pesto. I, it's the best pesto. I told a friend how much, how good it was, and she goes, you know, there's a lot of sodium in it. And I just looked at her and I said, fuck just you. Just punched her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> in 1990, Ronald DeFeo Jr. filed a proceeding to have his conviction vacated. Get it the fuck out. His new story at this point was that Don, his sister again, and an unknown assailant fled the house. The uh, assailant fled the house before he could get a good look at him. So he doesn't know who he was. But they killed his parents. And then Don killed all the kids. And that, of course, he's always the hero. He then killed Don. But everyone is face down in their bed. Oh, but also it was an accident that he killed Don because they were just <laughs> fighting over the rifle. She, but she was magically face down in her bed. Right. That's well, so that stupid. one didn't work. So then his other one, like it, I'm telling you. This guy, this was his hobby. He um, claimed that he committed the murders then with Dawn and that they did it out of desperation because their parents had plotted to kill him. And that he said after a big fight with his dad, he and Dawn are like, okay, we'll kill them. But then Dawn went against his wishes and also killed the kids because they, he, she wanted to like eliminate them as witnesses. And then he was enraged. And he knocked her unconscious and shot her in the head. I'm going to believe story number one, the one that... The one where he his told mom and dad first. <laughs> yes, the one where everyone... Mm, what you say? <laughs> no. I'm going to go with the OG story and say the rest is... The one that he confessed to immediately? Yeah. yeah. And he knew where he hid everything? Yeah. Yeah. So after all this happens, the house goes vacant for over a year, but it is on the market and it boasts a deck, a sunroom, a back patio, a boathouse. Sounds quite lovely. So it was actually purchased for the extremely low price of $80,000 by a family, George and Kathy Lutz, who move in with their three kids. 
they only last 28 days in the house. But they obviously didn't copyright 28, 28 days later. Days later. <laughs> Bummer. They, but they did copyright 28, 28 days, which is the movie with Sandra Bullock in a rehab facility. Oh, I forgot about that. Love, mm-hmm. Sandy. On January 13th, 1976, they just up and fucking leave this house with barely anything but the clothes on their backs and go move into Kathy's mom's. So we're about to enter the twilight zone. A ton of hearsay, essentially. (laughs) Um, And so because we're going to be dealing with some hearsay, I'm just going to quickly do some facts. Is this the haunting of Hill House? You're close. God damn it. You're really close. Um, I haven't deliberately said the exact town because it would give it away. Keep going. Okay. So the Lutzes were a successful multi-generational family business owners. They were doing well. They were known also to their community and to others as normal people, not into mystical argle bargle or foo-foo jumbo bullshit. After a few weeks, though, they did resell this house that was essentially their dream house at a loss. And they sent intermediaries to auction off virtually everything that had been inside it and kept a distance. And that's extreme, right? So we know that that's the case. That is all fact. Is this a place with like a carbon monoxide leak? Oh, I forgot about that. That's been on episodes, right? Not one like, that we've done, but, like, I've no, heard no, things like, where, like, there's, like, carbon monoxide <clears throat> poisoning, like, also creates hallucinogen. Like, people do crazy right. shit. That's interesting. Mm, not that maybe. you're aware of. Okay. Not that I'm aware of. So let's go back to when they moved in. Due to the property's grim reputation that we outlined already with Cuckoo DeFeo. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not Cuckoo. Psychopath DeFeo. Mm-hmm. A friend of George, the dad, is like, you should maybe get the house blessed by a a priest. And he says, I was a Methodist, so this was new and foreign to me at the time, but Father Ray showed up shortly after we were in the process of moving in. I waved, he waved, and he went on in the house and went about blessing it. When he was done, I tried to pay him, but he wouldn't take money. He said, no, you don't charge for this and you don't charge friends for this. I thought that was a very kind thing to say. And then he said, you know, I felt something really strange in that one upstairs bedroom, and he described the bedroom, and we said, that's what we were going to use as a sewing room. We weren't going to use it as a bedroom. He said, that's good, as long as no one sleeps in there. And that's all he said, and then he left. Mm -hmm. So that's not what you like to hear when you get your house blessed. But I like that they asked for some interior decorating advice or, like, some design advice from the priest. Don't you think it should be a bedroom? It's going to be a sewing room. You know what? I just don't think she should sleep in there. God forbid you read a good book in that sewing room and fall asleep. I, I, uh... I feel like you should move into a house where you can successfully sleep in every room. You wouldn't want to sleep in your kitchen, but I think if you slept there... If you're real tired, you might. But yeah, you know, who knows? But also, I don't want to... I don't want any... I don't want to not be able to sleep in my own house. It's like warm. Did you ever have the refrigerators that have the exhaust thing On below it that make it warm below so it? So nice. So nice. We had a pet pig growing up, Minnie, and she used to sleep on the floor by the fridge always. You had a pet pig? Yeah. How is this the first a time A pot-bellied here? pig, Minnie. How long did you have it? Uh, maybe a couple years. She was really hard to care for. 
um, her hooves scratched up the floors really badly and she couldn't potty train. And instead of a fence at the time, we had hedges and she would run through the hedges and go through the neighborhood. And we'd have to drive around and ask people if they'd seen our pet pig. And if they hadn't, they would just think we were kidding and that we were trying to play a joke on them. And so they'd be kind of weird or mean. It was rough. (laughs) Probably harder for the baby pig. Where did the baby pig go? To an upstate farm. I really actually think she did. You don't eat potbelly pigs. (laughs) Thank you. They're not delicious. Um, (laughs) Anyway, RIP, Minnie. Love you. Strange occurrences begin in the house almost immediately after they move in. There are cold spots in random places in the house. There's just eerie vibes in general. Um, Jolting sounds that were really loud would wake the family, so they're all not getting a lot of sleep. And they start to kind of change and fight with each other and act bizarre. George secludes himself and starts to obsess over the fireplace and says he is never warm enough. And Kathy sort of has all these creepily things happen to her. On more than one occasion, she feels like someone is touching her and turns and there's nobody there. Mm -mm. This one's crazy. After, After waking from a deep sleep, she looks in the mirror to see that she's looks like a hag all old and haggard um and it took hours to dissipate so i mean kathy we've all been there i don't moisturize so that's my life every day but (laughs) that way it took hours yeah there's some which is one thing to look in the mirror and be like i thought i saw exactly this was like she's like i feel like it's a ghost that doesn't know how to scare people they're like this is your new life you're like it's a slow burn (laughs) the children begin to argue a lot uh but then they get terrible beatings from their parents what i guess that's the kind of family we're dealing with like 70s 80s um the youngest child gets an imaginary friend her name's missy not the imaginary friend the child so the little girl missy says she she's talking to an angel and the angel's name is jody and she says that Jody is most of the time appears to her as a large pig, but sometimes looks just like Missy, which is that creeps me. I don't like the looks just like you thing, but basically can shape shift. There was some element of her always Jody changing shape. Wow. And George and Kathy, the parents, say that at one point they look in the window and see red eyes looking back at them. And Missy says, oh, I think that was Jody. Maybe she wants to come in. So, like, they basically are like, there's a demonic pig outside our house. Not like your mini. No, no. How dare you? No, Even... I didn't. I said not like your mini. I would not never know. Um, How dare I? I said not. It was compliment to <clears throat> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> um, so George, the dad, says there came a point where they would have people over and – They kind of had it in their heads, I want to have friends over because I'm not crazy, right? And they'd have friends over and they'd hear a loud, crazy ruckus upstairs. And then they'd creep up and and the the people over would say, well, I'm sure it's your kids. And they'd say, no, come on, look. And they'd go upstairs and look and the kids would be asleep. And it would be really sort of reaffirming for them to look at these friends and say, now, look, you heard it, too. Because I think they kind of all felt like they were losing their minds. Of course. In these 28 days, the Letts family smelled strange odors. They saw, they say that they saw green slime oozing from the walls and the keyholes, 
George would wake up at 3.15 every morning, which you'll remember, that was the time that Ronald is said to have committed the crimes, to have killed his family. Oh. There was a nearby garage door that would open and close. There was a knife that got knocked randomly no. uh, down in the kitchen. He said that one night they heard pigeons going really crazy on top of an air conditioner. They were fluttering all night long, but there was no pigeons there the next morning or anything like that. Any feathers, nothing. So it was just sort of unexplained, more exp- unexplained phenomena. They got freaked out, so they bring their dog up and they tie him to their doorknob. Uh, so he has to be in the room with them, which didn't make sense to me. I think if you just shut the door, does your dog know how to open the door? I don't know. Some do. Um, some do. Um, but they said that the dog was up all night going in circles, acting crazy and vomiting. Sounds like just maybe a hard night for the dog. Sounds like a really hard night for that poor dog. Maybe it's because I tied him to the doorknob. Yeah. But I think they be. like to paint the picture that it was yeah. because the dog was sensing evil. So then maybe the final straw-ish was that one night George wakes up and Kathy's next to him just levitating. <laughs> you don't ever like to see that. That took such a turn. I was not anticipating that at yeah. all. She lifts off the bed and starts to slide away from the bed and away from George. And as that happens, he feels something get in bed with him. <gasps> Um, and he's unable to move. He has like sleep paralysis no, 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 vibes, no, 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 so he no. can't move. No, and he hears the kids' beds banging, banging up and down as though they're being dragged, as though the bed is being dragged across the room and bouncing up and down. No. So, what they do is they contact Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are a husband and wife team of self-proclaimed demonologists. I've heard of them. I've heard you of have? these two. I think when I was, like, doing the whole, like, researching. I'm their famous demonologist. I think, I, maybe I'm wrong. You maybe would I'm... think that might be a job I want, but actually with my menu reading, full-time, pro-skeptic business, I, I just have, have too much on my plate. Too yeah. much on my plate. Um, See, I'm just a last meal curator. <laughs> I know that about you. Um, so, Lorraine Warren says that there's an overwhelming sense of sadness and depression in the house. And she says, whatever is here in my estimation is a negative nature. It has nothing to do with anyone who once walked the earth in human form. It's right from the bowels of the earth. So that kind of hmm. kills the theory that it would have been. psychopath. Or that it would have been the ghosts of, like, the family he killed. Like at the 315. There just seems like it's just... Because you would think Ugh. you assume that what's haunted is his whole family. Wait that a minute, got murdered. I think I know the story. Is it Ghostbusters? No, Dang. that's just a movie. <laughs> yeah, and then Slimer comes out. And you did mention Green Slime. We haven't gotten to the Marshmallow Man yet, but here he comes. She says, "Whatever's here is able to move around at will. It doesn't have to stay in the house, but it's it's resting place." And after entering the basement, her husband Ed feels a powerful presence and says it was if he was standing underneath a waterfall and the pressure drove him all the way down to the floor and he commanded in the name of Jesus Christ that whatever it was reveal its identity and he understood at that point that we were not dealing with a ghost. It was a demon. Yeah. They think so. Then a friend of the Warrens, this, uh, demonologist couple 
invite their friend, Mary Pascarella, to come investigate. Now, Mary is a time walker, which is a person who's able to sense and visualize past events in a particular location. A time walker. Yeah. It's like a time traveler, but you don't need a machine and you just stand in a place and then you can kind of see what might have happened in that place years ago. Okay. It's a really good skill set. It's not, um, it's not on my special skills in my resume, but I'm hoping to add it there eventually. Hopefully. Hopefully. If all goes well. That and may have spoke Spanish in a previous life. May have spoken Spanish in a previous. Oh, I think that goes hand in hand with it. Yeah, you're getting, it's getting stacked. She says, I began to say my prayers and was saying, our father, whatever. Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Exactly. But when she started and said, our father, she was looking out a window and she saw a group of figures and they were all started to say our father, but backward. So what would that be? Wrath, afro. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or maybe just father out. And that will be done. I will give us a stay our daily bread on earth as it gives us a stay our daily bread. Um, whatever. I'm just doing the it whole thing. confusing. <laughs> so. How do you uh, know it's backwards? It's. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, she she got ill, though, and they, you know, was ushered out of the room, I'm sure, with some smelling salts. She said there seems to be a black shadow and it forms a sort of head of something and it moves. And as it moves, this is what she said. And as it moves, I feel personally threatened, which I was like, typical Mary always wants to make it about her. <laughs> like, you don't live I here? I feel personally threatened. I'm like, calm down. I'm you personally don't live here. offended and I need to leave. Get out of here, Mary. We've had enough of Go you. Go on, Mary. You're drunk. So after they leave the house, everything they've said is some people are really, I think, excited by the stories as I you would as be in like them. I think any of our stories that deal with haunted things, it just drives people there in droves. I'm like, was this just like a funny, clever and we don't know. real estate agent who made up this story to well, sell so the house? Well, so we're going to kind of look at that. Um, a lot of the claims they made were rejected because... There was no damage to the locks, doors, or windows that they claimed there was when they saw certain things happen. Mm-hmm. They also said that there were cloven hoof prints in the snow. And at one point, which remember, they thought, oh, there's a pig outside. And they said there had been pig footprints, I guess. Yeah. So then they said it was in the snow. But when they said that would have happened, there was no snowfall in that town. Okay. So they're sort of going through them. And a lot of people are saying... It hadn't snowed that day. Okay. And Lutz actually ends up admitting that the green slime oozing from the walls was an embellishment. That that was. But they say the majority of what we've said happened, happened. Okay. But you're already like, I don't like that. Why did you even make any of it up? Yeah. They did end up taking a lie detector test, which you know how I feel about those, but they did pass. In 1977, they end up filing, the Lutzes, the family that was creeped out and left, file a lawsuit against William Weber. And William Weber is DeFeo's defense attorney and a former friend of theirs, Paul Hoffman, because they were all together working on an account of what would be called Amityville Horror as well as working on various magazines. And so they said, because the two of them were working on those stories, they claimed invasion of privacy and breach of contract. In response, Weber and Hoffman and a clairvoyant named Bernard Burton filed a countersuit for $2 million under allegations of fraud and breach of contract against the Lutzes. 
Weber says, and remember, this is so weird because Weber is Ronald DeFeo's defense defense attorney. attorney. So it's so bizarre. He says that they made everything up and wildly exaggerated the experiences and that it was a neighbor's cat at the window, not a demonic pig, and that he helped them think of the green slime and all this stuff. And he says, um, we came up with all this stuff, and I quote, after many bottles of wine. I've done some weird things after many bottles of wine, but not make up a story of a haunting. So odd. Well, and they did move so quick and at a loss and from a beautiful home. So it's, it's. I wonder how wealthy they were and if this was a part of it or not. So Weber also says that he'd been approached and told by a publisher that they would happily offer a large advance for a book about the DeFeo case. And he tried to get the Lutzes in on it with him, where it's like, let's make it about the case. Let's also make it about the haunting. Mm -hmm. And my idea is that you guys will get a cut, I'll get a cut, and DeFeo in prison will get a cut. So they were super offended at that idea, and they stopped talking to Weber. So that was probably the start of this contention between the yeah. two. Yeah. And then they they did cut a deal on the story of Amityville Horror with Prentice Hall Publishing and this guy, Jay Anson, who wrote it. And Weber wasn't involved in it. And they cut him out of it. So Weber tries to carry on himself. He gets a freelance writer and they do uh, an account of the Lutz's experience and they publish it in good housekeeping. But then the Lutz's, that's what they, you know, they ended up suing him. They, mm-hmm. they sued him. That suit settled in 1979. One thing to know is the Lutz's did not get rich. Okay. From the books, from the movies. Everyone's heard of Amityville Horror. There have been remake upon remake. There was one with like, what's his name? Reynolds really recently. I think. Really? Yeah. They got a portion of royalties and licensing fees for the books and movies, but it was never a lot of money. They did not get rich from this. So now let's just talk about today. Daniel Lutz, who was one of the sons mm-hmm. that lived in this house. He lives in Queens and says he still has nightmares about the 28 days in the Amityville house. He says that he was possessed while he was in the house. He says he confirms the account of his How bed shaking. He? How old was he when this happened? It's a good question. I, I just don't am, know. The reason why I ask is just because I'm like, could you be young enough where that impression Yeah, where stays? your parents are telling exactly. you something's happening, so you think it is? Well, okay, here's what's interesting. Yes, I actually think he was young enough that... That it could have been an impression. It could have, but his brother, Christopher... Quaritino, who's the middle child, also says he remembers. Missy, the little one, um, mm-hmm. has never spoken publicly about the experience. I respect but that. Christopher and Daniel say that they think everything that happened in that house didn't have anything to do with the murders and with DeFeo. They say that it had everything to do with their stepfather, George Lutz, mm-hmm. and that George Lutz was super into the occult and was summoning bad spirits and that he was like this really bad abusive stepfather and that he terrorized his stepchildren and that he beat them with wooden spoons and was this total like animal and then also was into the occult oh shit which kind of makes me think there's a case for 
part of the abuse being, being this. this idea that that there's this haunting and scaring his kids with it or something. But that's still, if he did all that, it just still doesn't explain the move so quickly. Move no, into mean, a house, move out 28 days like later at a does, loss. If he believes in the occult, if he's like, if he's <clears throat> believing everything. Right. I mean, the power of suggestion, I think, is super strong. I mean, I don't know. I think... I think with these kind of otherworldly spiritual things, I think you'll find people that agree. I think it's an interesting thing when you first started that these guys, that the Lutzes were not into this type of stuff, right? They, they were weren't they were skeptics, which that. in yeah. every haunting situation we've read about, that's been the best indicator that there's some truth, quote unquote, truth to it is be if they didn't believe in it. Mm-hmm. And I and I question that actual. It's like in my reincarnation story, he believed she didn't believe there was some question about the validity of that and all that, you know. Well, so if it is real Mm -hmm. and the house was haunted. Yeah. And it wasn't because of these deaths, because it wasn't. It wasn't Everybody kept saying it was like a demon. It wasn't that. Yeah. So Weber, you remember Weber is the defense attorney. He says. I could maybe reopen the DeFeo case because the implication now is if there was all this <gasps> paranormal activity, maybe DeFeo was crazy, should have gotten to plead insanity because he could have been driven crazy by all the spirits in the house or the How devil would that in the house. possibly hold up in the court Well, of law? so he said he was looking to file a motion and none appears to have been filed. But he did publicly at love- one point say we could probably open this based on this stuff. I would love it if there was, like, some legal precedent of a haunting. How fucking crazy would that have been? That would be insane. Well, the house is haunted, so could you imagine? I mean, here we are a few weeks ago. We talked about sleepwalking as a defense. It's like it gets crazier and crazier. crazier And then what about haunting? I actually have, in my story, a crazy defense. Well, so much for the demon. Let's just say that after the Lutzes leave, there have been four house owners since and no report of any weird activity. The couple that moved in right after them was Jim and Barbara Cromarty or Cromarty and they don't complain about spirits. What they fucking complain about are all the paranormal tourists coming by the house (laughs) and driving them nuts and they said people would come by and say they were witches. People would come by and curse them. People would come by and say crazy things. People would come by drunk of course, of course. Um, they it, told Newsday in 1978 that one of the funniest things was one night they woke up at three o'clock in the morning and there was a guy with a bugle playing taps on the front lawn <laughs> and that they opened the window and the guy, uh, Jim, applauded him and said, kid, you got a real good sense of humor. <laughs> um, so they actually, this this is like the story of lawsuit after lawsuit. This family would eventually sue the Lutzes and Jay Anson that wrote the book Amityville Horror for $1.1 million in damages for fraud. About because, the house because it's affecting. Because they're saying you have to take the term, and I quote, a true story off the title. They get said something like Amityville Horror, a true story. And they're saying this is fucking up our lives. You can say whatever you want, but you calling it a true story is it doesn't seem like it was. It's like the poor people who live on the stoop that Carrie Bradshaw stoop was set in. I mean, their lives are ruined forever. There's exactly. tourists taking pictures in the fucking of their stoop, stoop all every the time. Day. 
Well, the suit settled for an undisclosed six figures in 82. So the Amityville house sold, this is the most recent sort of activity. It sold in February 2017 to an undisclosed owner. Undisclosed. Undisclosed. (laughs) Jesus Christ. An undisclosed owner for $605,000, which was $200,000 less than the original asking price. So I think it's still hard to unload. Well, I bet it's hard to unload because of the suit. There's there's so much hearsay that I'm sure people still visit. Like, Well, you know what happened? One of the owners changed the address to 108 Ocean Avenue because, because everyone was... knows the address in the story. So if you put a 108 out front, they're hoping, I think, leave us the fuck alone. It's not the house you think it is. They didn't want bugle players on the lawn at 3 a.m. But what a nice alarm. (laughs) So I got my information from the lineup.com, biography.com, Wikipedia, Cosmopolitan, AmityvilleFiles.com, Topic.com, and the truth about AmityvilleAmityvilleNow.com. There's a lot of, I I would say if you're curious about this case, though, AmityvilleFiles.com is a really comprehensive, interesting website to click through. It's somebody that got really, really interested in this case. So if you're interested, go visit that website. Could you imagine if me and you just like figured out one case to do a deep dive with every year, every week? A like, deep dive? Or like, no, what if one This show season, should be called Shallow Dive. This show is like, <laughs> book reports are us. Thanks for that story, Quinn. You're welcome. That was crazy. I, are you surprised to say here that I have not seen Amityville or? I actually haven't myself. Ooh. So maybe I'll watch it tonight. Spook. I, since I'm by myself, I can't. Nope, can't no, do no, it. no, no, no. Never, never, never. No, never, no, no, no. Wouldn't no. recommend it. I would love to see Midsummer. I would love to see that movie. Not watch some by Curb Your Enthusiasm myself. instead. I have been. That's a great one. Yeah. I'm watching a lot of comedy. I'm watching a lot of The New Girl. Watch a comedy. Good. Is it my turn? It must be. There's no one else here. Or is there? Um, I'm doing this story. I don't know if you know the preppy murder. (gasps) Yes. Because do you know why I know it? Why do you know it? Really quickly, and I won't ruin anything. The bar that this has to do (gasps) with is one of the only bars in New York that didn't card when I was uh, in college. And I went to college at Sarah Lawrence, and we would come into the city, and we would either go to Dorian's Tortilla Flats... Or we would go to Republic, a Thai restaurant that didn't card. And those were the places that we would go because they didn't card us. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed. So you know all about it? I've been there. You've been just to Dorian's Red Hand? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Okay. Then I know it has to do with this case. Of course. But I... Well, this case kept popping up, I think, because I've been searching all these things. that mm-hmm. It's all been like preppy murder because there was a new... I'll just plug it now. There was a five-part mini-series on AMC that came out in November um, 2019 that dealt with this. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. So there's this guy, Robert Chambers. Robert Chambers was born in 1966. He's raised by his mother, who's an immigrant from Ireland, and she's a... I believe a doctor. She's quoted as saying a nurse, but one of his ex-girlfriends said she was a doctor and she was a very good doctor. But they're an Irish Catholic family. And so he would, um, he was an altar boy and he attended a bunch of prep schools around the Upper East Side um, in the 80s or in the, yeah, early 80s. 
Um, it was a crazy time in the 80s, I think, to be a kid on the Upper East Side because I think you had generational wealth and I think there was very few new wealth. And just to put into perspective what it was like to be in the 80s in the Upper East Side with crazy generational wealth, parents would move away and leave their kids to be taken care of by their nanny. Kids would have disposable incomes. It was just a crazy, crazy time. So Robert Chambers was this prep school kid who was going to all these prep schools on scholarship because his mother could not afford to send him there otherwise. He was at a deficit. He did not have much money and he suffered from behavioral problems and he had antisocial behavior just because of the crazy difference between him um, and the rest of his classmates. And he also was kicked out of prep school because he was just an asshole as well. He would steal. He did drugs. They would invite him to parties and he would steal people's jewelry and shit. He was just a bad kid. He was a dick. And then he got into Boston University and he got kicked out after a semester because he stole someone's credit card. So he's just a bad egg. Now, all of the burglaries and thefts, I believe, were related to drug and alcohol use. He couldn't hold, after he left BU, he couldn't hold down a job. At one point, he was charged with disorderly conduct. And after the police officers left, he tore up the summons and he shouted some racial slurs. Like, he's just not a happy, good kid. After this, he was entered into a rehab in Minnesota, but left early. So lots of just bad, bad energy, bad behavior. Dorian's Red Hand, where Quinn visited. A lot of high school kids from the Upper East Side, this is an Upper East Side bar, a lot of high school kids would go there because they didn't card. And they it's would go so from a funny very young everyone age. Everyone just knows that. Everybody just knows that. And so this became a really crazy hangout spot. And so, you know, 16, 18, 19-year-olds would just get shit-faced hammered. Yeah. So on August 25th, 1986, Robert Chambers was 19 years old, drinking, and he meets this young woman named Jennifer Levin. Jennifer Levin is 18 years old. There's actually a picture of her and her friends from that night, which is always really sad and jarring to see someone take a photo before their ultimate death, which is really hard. So they leave the bar in the wee hours of morning. They'd been drinking and they decided to go to Central Park. Now, when I first read this case, it was really confusing because why would anyone go to Central Park late at night? Right. But I guess because these were all kids who lived at home with their parents, they would hang out behind the Met and they would do all these crazy things, you know, drugs and all that stuff, hang out on the steps. Mm hmm. So in the wee hours of the morning, they went into Central Park. A couple hours later, on August 26th, 1986, there was a cyclist going through Central Park, and he sees a young woman who is half naked, and it's Jennifer Levin's body. Ugh. Horrible. Terrible. She has strangulation marks on her throat, as well as scratches and bruises and cuts, um, her clothes, her clothing had been pushed up around her neck and her skirt had been pushed up around her waist. Um, she was around Fifth Avenue and 83rd Street behind the Met, which is crazy because wow. Quinn and I have definitely been there together before. Yeah. We used to hang there. We used to hang there. Smoke our weed. Just kidding. Just kidding. We know we were doing immersive shows. <laughs> <laughs> and... 
her underwear was 50 yards away from her body. How far is 50 yards? 150 feet. I think a yard oh, is three feet. that's pretty fucking far. It's pretty far. So her underwear was 50 yards away, and it was determined she died from strangulation based on the marks on her neck. The scratching marks around her neck were from her own fingernails. Trying to pry Trying to pry hands his off. away. Mm-hmm. This is why I try to have long nails so that mm-hmm. we scratch that DNA out. Not really, but not a bad idea. What's crazy is that the police came, but Robert Chambers was around there, and he hid behind bushes and watched the police discover the scene, which is just crazy, but also makes sense because they do say- also, that's just textbook. That's textbook. You return to the scene of the crime. Yeah. The police, when they're looking for a killer, often go to the victim's funerals or the scene of the crime. Uh, Isn't that how they caught the Atlanta monster? Oh, I don't know that story. Put it on the list. This is so stupid, but not stupid. I had someone steal money from an organization that I was working at. Mm -hmm. And the person who stole the money followed me around. As soon as I discovered it was gone, they followed me around the entire day. And I knew, and they were the ones, and they fully admitted to it. And it was so crazy. So after they found out that when they looked at her whereabouts that previous evening and they found out they she left the bar with Robert Chambers the police went to question him and he had scratch marks all over his face that he attributed immediately to his cat mm-hmm. the cat scratched his face hmm. so as soon as they took him in his story changed immediately right or his story kept changing he then said his cat had actually been declawed so there goes right. that. Um, that he didn't part with Levin immediate, immediately upon leaving the bar. So he admitted that he didn't leave her right away, even though that's what he'd claimed previously. And then he told the police that she left him to go buy cigarettes, but she didn't smoke. In the final version of what he said, he said that after they left the bar, she then asked him for some rough sex. And she tied him up with her underwear And when they started, she hurt his genitals, and in his rage, he broke free, and he pushed her and accidentally killed her. So he said he killed her by pushing her. Mm -hmm. How did he account for the strangulation marks, I wonder? Maybe it was he flew in a bit of rage, and he killed her. This is what's crazy. So she tied him up, right? He was 6'5 and 220 pounds. And it was a pair of underwear? And it was a pair of underwear. And she was 5'1". I don't think so, bro. I don't fucking think so. And he was a very handsome guy. Like, he just looks like an all-American guy. Well, it's um, the preppy killer. It's the preppy, and that's He's why they live named up it. to that name. And he went to all these prep schools, so it's known as yeah. the preppy murders. So as soon as he was booked, he got to see his father... And he is quoted as saying, that fucking bitch, why didn't she leave me alone? It became highly publicized. It was, we always kind of mention it as the bench, as O.J. Simpson as the benchmark. Mm-hmm. Um, this was before O.J. Simpson. And both of the, vic- the victim and the murderer were of very upper class means. Not really, but they hung out in this upper class society world. And so it became highly publicized. They were both attractive. They were young. And I think it was salacious because rough sex was used as the reason why. What was really, really hard about this is that through the media's portrayal of it 
and I can, I'll get more into this later, they focused a lot on him and the sex, sordid sex, sordid sex details. And so there was a lot of slut shaming for Jennifer Levin, which Oof. is really Are hard. Are you kidding me? It's really bad to watch. And the documentary what that I haven't seen, fuck? but the documentary is a way to sort of fix the story that was brought out into the world about this young woman. And I just want to say um, a quote from her friend before I go any further. He said, I didn't know some of those people who were a bit out of control, partied, and caused trouble. I wouldn't put her in that category. If anything, she was kind of a nerd. She was much more responsible than most of us were. She was funny, loyal, and down-to-earth. Jennifer was the type of friend who was always there for her friends. She had a lot of friends, but always found a way to make you feel special. She was always there for everyone. She was also very self-deprecating about herself. She wasn't afraid to poke fun at herself. She never did drugs or even drink that much. She was just a very regular person, unlike what the media reports said at that time. Horrible. Horrible. Really? But let me also interject to just say, if you are a kid that goes out and parties, if you are a girl that likes to have a few drinks and, uh, you know, have sex, There's you're nothing also wrong. not asking for you're it. You're not asking for it. And no. you also don't deserve that. No. And it's also... 100% not your fault, fault if something like that happens to you. If I wasn't clear on that, I apologize. No. That is 100%. I agree. That's not on you. I just wanted to No, we should have a PSA always. You know, always starting off by saying she's nerdy and sweet. I believe it. And, but also, uh, this guy's a monster no matter who he did it to. Exactly. I think what's so hard is even in the way that it was reported, there would be big pictures of him and a tiny picture of her. Blech. And it was just really unbalanced in a way. And it made her look like, and again, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, well, let's not even on our Instagram, let's not even post his no, picture. No, we're going to post her picture because <laughs> yeah. he doesn't deserve it. Unlike uh, all the other killers we've covered <laughs> that totally, they just earned it. What can I say? <laughs> Leonardo Cicciuoli. Leonardo Cicciuoli. We love that you cannibal lady. You soap maker, lady. wild woman. You deserve Red it. Red velvet cake, baby. Okay, so he's arrested, and at his bail hearing, this guy, um, Archbishop Theodore Edgar McCarrick, who was the Archbishop, bishop, <laughs> who was the Archbishop of Newark, New Jersey. Remember, he's an Irish Catholic kid. His mom works for the Cardinal. He's very well connected. They wrote a letter in support of his bail. Um, application. This archbishop actually was served as Robert's godfather at his own baptism. So he's a long friend of the family and he writes a letter of support for his bail. He's granted bail, but what I did find interesting was that the same archbishop that wrote in support of him in 2019 was defrocked for sexual crimes against minors and adults. Did you say defrocked? mm -hmm. That's what it is? I think so. That's adorable. Isn't that a great word for a horrible thing? Yeah, so this guy who wrote Taking the letter away of support frock. was just a bad guy. Got it. So Chambers was granted bail based on this letter of support, and his family paid helped him pay for it with what little they had. And Jack Dorian, the owner of the bar he left that night, put his own townhouse um, as collateral for the bail bond. What? Great, crazy. He's like, I don't that know guy why. is one of my regulars. Yeah, he's my eighteen-year-old. Re- no, <laughs> my eighteen-year-old regular. So he was free for two years before the trial. That's how long it took the trial, and that's what money wow. got him. Is he was able to be free for two years? 
Just hanging out, causing trouble. Exactly. He reported regularly to his monsignor, which was a former teacher. So eventually he was charged for two counts of second-degree murder. And the defense, as I said, his defense was this rough sex defense, which this was the first time this was introduced, really, and used. The prosecutor said, in more than 8,000 cases of reported assaults in the last 10 years, this is the first in which a male reportedly being sexually assaulted by a female. So this is the first time a six he foot was... five male that was sexually assaulted by a five foot one female. And I want to be very clear: sexual assault does happen to men. There is heterosexual sexual assault to men. I'm not discrediting that. The fact that they're able to use this as a murder, as as a justification for murder, boggles my fucking mind. Also, that's not what happened here. That's not what fucking happened. She. What do you think we are, dum dums? Come on. So the case popularized this rough sex defense, and like I'd mentioned. Levin, posthumously, she wasn't even there to defend herself, was totally fucking slut-shamed. She was totally called out for any sexually explicit behavior. And I want to be very clear. This is in the 80s. We've come a long way, baby. We still have lots to go. But, it, you know, it was still fucking awful. Mm -hmm. Um, They called her a promiscuous woman who kept a quote-unquote sex diary, um, but no diary even fucking existed. Levin, instead, she had a small notebook that contained the names and phone numbers of her friends and notations of just ordinary appointments. So these tactics were met with public outrage, and there were protesters that called themselves Justice for Jennifer. They were demonstrating outside the courtroom. Good for them. Mm -hmm. The lawyer for the prosecution had to really work against this idea that the fact that she walked into Central Park of her own volition, you know, and walked in. They were using that to say it was her fault? Yeah. I mean, of course they were. Using anything you can. Right? And, And so she had to contend with that, which I think was so hard is I don't think anyone enters a space, they go, this is where I'm going to fucking die, and I'm fine with it, right? She had a false sense of comfort. It's like the same, it's like that. She probably even looked at him as like, I'm with this big guy. He'll I'm protect totally me. Safe. Exactly. That's and what I would do. Yeah. And then it reminds me just of the Harvey Weinstein um, on The Daily, that the, his defense attorney on The Daily. Did you, did you read that? No, did you listen no, to no, that? no. I can't recommend it enough. It's infuriating. But Harvey Weinstein's defense attorney um, is a woman, and she was interviewed while the jury was deliberating. And the interview goes on and on and on, and it's fine. And then right at the end, they're like, by the way, I have one more question. Have you ever been sexually assaulted? And she just goes, no, I've never put myself in that situation. (gasps) And you think – and she handles it like a very – good lawyer where she's poking holes and you know and talking about the lawful she's like i'm not here to say if harvey weinstein's a bad guy i'm here to see if what he did was unlawful what a defense attorney does at the end though she completely just like blows it all up yeah you that's are so wild. pissed but that's what this is it's the same defense that they're using in harvey weinstein 30 30 plus 40 years later Right. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. What t- 45 years later, they're using the same defense where, well, you walked into a dangerous situation and it's like, fuck you. Fuck you. OK. Oh, terrible. So the jury was deadlocked for nine days. What? Yes. Deadlocked for nine days Guys. to determine whether it was manslaughter or murder. Murder in the first. 
Well, they struck a plea bargain. Chambers pled guilty to manslaughter in the first degree and one count of burglary for his thefts in 1986. So what happened to him? I don't even want to He was know. sentenced to serve 5 to 15 years with the sentence for burglary to be served concurrently. Wait, so what? He ha- so That's the sentence? 5 to 15 years. For killing her? Mm-hmm. Okay, don't worry, there's more. Right after the sentence is happening, this tabloid show called um, Current Affair in 1998, right after the jury made its decision and the plea bargain was accepted, they showed a home video of Robert Chambers at a party while he was free on bail in those two years, and he was surrounded by four lingerie-clad women, of which I'm not here to, you know, that he's just surrounded by some women who are dressed in lingerie, and he's choking himself with his hands, making a gagging noise, and he has a Barbie in his hand, and he twists the Barbie's head, saying, my name is, oops, I think I killed it. What the actual fuck is wrong with this guy's brain? Mm-hmm. That is so fucked up. So that goes public after. 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 And what did everybody do? So he served. We can't do anything, right? No, because you've already accepted the plea deal, the <clears> judge. <throat> so he served 15 years. He served the full 15 years. He was transferred to different facilities because of many infractions. He received no time off for good behavior. He still perpetuated his bad, his poor behavior. You know, he was a he was a thief. He was a drug user. He just he broke. He wasn't all. one of those murderers that goes to prison and like volunteers at the library or no, something. No, not at all. He assaulted a correctional officer. He's cited for weapons, drug infractions, which resulted in more crime charges. Good. Um, Stay there. Stay there. Levin, uh, Jennifer's mother, um, she petitioned to have his role denied, and he was his parole was denied. He served five years of his sentence in detention or segregation. So I believe they didn't say isolation, but I think they take this person away from general from Gen Pop because they're just they're a dangerous. Bad, they're dangerous and they're a bad person. Five <sighs> of his fifteen wow. years. So he was released in two thousand three after serving his entire sentence due to the infractions. When he left the prison, there were pol- there was media waiting for him, just trying to get, because this case was so sensationalized. Yeah. So he was interviewed um, on Dateline, and he still continued his claim that yeah, he strangled course. her accidentally due to rough sex. Levin's parents ended up suing the bar for, I believe, wrongful death because they served too much alcohol. And yeah. they, I think, believe they settled. They did settle outside of it. They then sued Chambers for a wrongful death suit, and he didn't contest that, which is another way. I think it's a civil versus a criminal case. Yeah. Um, it's like OJ was guilty ex- in the wrongful death suit. He just wasn't guilty in the murder trial. Exactly. And it states that any lump sum that Robert Chambers has to pay, um, whether it's like a book or movie deals, Plus 10% of all future income had to be paid to the Levin family, I believe up to $25 million. All of the money the Levin family receives would go to victims' rights organizations. Ellen Levin, her mother, became an activist for victims' rights and helped secure the passage of 13 pieces of legislation, which this is something that we talk about often, and I and I see it in our 
politics now where the families of victims become activists in a way that's heartbreaking, but also really hopeful that people are doing something with this horrible pain that they're experiencing. I see it in Moms Against Gun Violence. You know, you see these parents, this mother whose son was killed, who then would run for office, right? In mm-hmm. Alabama, and I think it was in Alabama, maybe. I don't know. Either way, there's something really beautiful about family still fighting for their for their family members after they're dead. So after leaving prison, Chambers then moved into Georgia with his girlfriend. His girlfriend, I don't know if you know, you don't know, I'm telling you. His girlfriend <laughs> was um, one of the women in the video, one of the women that he was with in that video. Well, she sounds great. I think what I've read up on her, I think she's an intensely loyal person. And I feel like this guy is a manipulator and she's bamboozled. She's fallen for his she's Yeah, she's malarkey. fallen for his malarkey. He works in a dye factory, which, again, this has happened before. D-Y-E, a dye factory. <laughs> yeah, it's very... Uh... It's happened before. Weird. Careful. Um, nine months later, his girlfriend's mother passed away from cancer, and her rent-controlled apartment was, was available on East 57th Street in Manhattan. And they didn't know whether they should return to New York, but ultimately they decided to go back to New York. Um, so they live in New York. I'll get there. He works for a limo company in Queens, and then he worked in New Jersey at a sport trophy manufacturing engraving plant, which, who knows? Maybe a murderer touched your soccer trophy from when you were in first grade. Who knows? So in 2004, he was stopped while driving on a suspended license, and they searched his car, and they found heroin and cocaine. Good, good. He pled guilty to only 90 days in jail and a $200 fine. The judge did add 10 days because he was an hour late. Loved that. Um, And then after he left again in 2007, he was arrested again. Yeah, Because undercover cops were purchasing drugs from him. Um, So he had three counts of selling controlled substance in the first degree and three counts of selling in the second degree and resisting arrest. One of the police officer's thumbs were broken because he was resisting arrest. The prosecutor who worked on the murder trial, she says, doesn't surprise me. I always believed his problems with drugs and alcohol would get him into trouble again. He had the opportunity in prison to detox and take college courses to straighten out his life, but that clearly is of no interest to him. He learned nothing in the last 20 years. He and his girlfriend were selling cocaine and heroin, he tried to plead insanity, but then he, the undercover cops were like, dude, no. you fucking sold us all these drugs. And he faced life in prison on drug charges. In 2008, he pled guilty to selling drugs, was sentenced to 19 years. His earliest release date is January 25th, 2024. The maximum release date is October 15th. 2026. I assume, based on this type of guy he is, that we're going 2026 on that one. Yeah, that's a safe, yeah, what, safe assumption. But what blows my mind is that for selling drugs, he has a harsher sentence than he got for killing a woman. It's nuts. It's crazy. It's the truest, darkest, creepiest thing. From when I was reading it, the thing that really ticked me off was that... They had to add burglary onto the manslaughter in order to give him more time, more time. in prison. You shouldn't even have to talk about the burglary. He killed somebody. He that's killed it. someone. That's it. It just 
doesn't make sense. And I th- and my m- money's on him raping her. Oh as yeah. Well. Yeah, for sure. But again, when the victim's dead, you can't. No, I think she went to the park to make out with a hot tall guy, mm-hmm. and got raped and killed. Yeah. It's. It, but the fact that the rough sex defense worked in this, that it set, we talk about like these precedents that are set legally, that are set legally. And this one, I feel like it takes us, it took us back. Backward. For like t- t- yeah, 20 steps. Yeah, three steps forward, 20 steps back. It's... Right? It's like, I don't care how bad your fucking childhood is. I don't. Yeah. I think that the 80s were a crazy time. What's his name? Robert Chambers. Robert Chambers. Are you allowed to listen to podcasts in prison? Because if you are, Robert Chambers. I don't know if he's a narcissist. Fuck yourself. I don't think he is a narcissist enough to. I, I just the fact that he changed so many stories and then once the rough sex angle worked, he just like white knuckled and held on to it. What a fucking loser. Total fucking loser. I put I put an L on my forehead. But I want to just say. Jennifer Levin, she's super cute, and her friends miss her. This guy was talking about how he saw her face everywhere, and even he said he looked at an old man and he would see Jennifer's face. Um, I don't know why that's funny, but I, it, it was sort funny of is. to me. But I thought there was something like when we it, well, we learned from the Pollock twins reincarnation may, might be a thing, so she could be an old man. Wait, I don't know if that timing works out actually. Maybe she's of two energies, two yeah. spirits moving yeah. through the world. Oh my god, so Robert Chambers is still in jail, thank God. And thank God, may he rot, may he rot in hell. He'll be, I think, 57 when he leaves, which is too young, far too young, far too fucking well, young. a life for a life. Do you believe that? I don't know. I don't. I don't believe in the death penalty, but I I do uh, believe in harsh sentencing for people that murder and rape. I so, wonder. There you have it, folks. <laughs> I believe that. Daughter for of murdering... a criminal defense lawyer, but there you have it. He's a criminal defense lawyer, so he's like defended some bad guys. Yeah. How do you feel about that? We've gotten to a really good place about it. I when I was young, I was really um, cocky. Uh, like you are, you actually, when you're a teenager, I was such a dick. you happen to know everything. You do. And I definitely had things to say about it, uh, of him being on the bad guy's side or whatever. But I think that what's really cool about what he does is that he is there to try to make sure that our obviously screwed up criminal justice system is having to do the things it promises to do. And that means that you have to prove someone is guilty. And if you can't prove it, then they shouldn't have to do the time. And you don't get to cherry pick which cases you do that with. Mm -hmm. You have to always hold the justice system to the same level, right? Yeah. To the same, what's the word I'm looking for? The same bar? Yeah. Bar's kind of a funny word for it. <laughs> because it's yes. a Yeah, because then I'm like, ah, ha, ha. Um, and I think that that's really noble, actually. I really do think that. And I, yeah. I think that we talk about these horrible cases, no matter how horrible the deed, it's still 
when I have read about cases where an innocent person has been killed in our system or an innocent person has lost their entire life, maybe didn't get to watch their kids grow up. And then we find out later and we go, oops, you're exonerated. And they have nothing when they leave. And it's impossible to rebuild their lives. And they've lost everything. And it was because we screwed it up and we didn't hold the justice system to that bar that they're supposed to be at to that level that is worse to me and maybe that's controversial no i don't think i don't i but i i would urge you to listen to this daily podcast the daily it's it it especially with such a monster like this harvey weinstein to hear a female defense attorney saying we need to afford everyone the rights that our judicial system offers yeah, we can't just say we're doing it. And I think we know that the system is flawed. rigged. It's yeah. flawed. It's racist. It's There's lots of problems with it. And we need people. Um, I kind of look at him as more of a policeman within the system. Being like, you mm. said you'd do this, so I'm going to make sure you fucking do it. And yeah. I think that we need people like that. So, Well, I got to tell you, if I was convicted... Of any crime that I didn't do, you bet your ass, I'm calling Larry. Oh, well, he'll be thrilled to know that. He's retired now, so he he could use uh, (laughs) all the phone calls. Give him a call. Will he bill me if he's retired? (laughs) I'll bill you. I'm his secretary. Um, No, he won't bill you. He doesn't know how to send an invoice. So now that he doesn't have. (laughs) That's so good. Well, hey, should we go eat? We should definitely I go eat. I gave Carrie a choice between burgers and risotto, and she chose risotto. So I, chose I better risotto. get going. because that's, that's a, a delicious. I love a pause. Yeah. It's I love a pause by pause. Pause by pause. Pause by pause. I'm going to open up a little a, shop. If you ever do a shop, it should be pause by pause. That That's what you think? Yeah. Not like any I'm shop. I just worry if you do a, people will confuse it for some sort of pet specialty place. No, pause. P-A-S by P-O-Z. Oh, like how Koa says pasta? Yeah. Pos, yeah. Okay. Koa says pause pause. for pasta. Pause for by pause. Pause for pause by pause. No? All right. It's like ba ba blah. Ba ba blah. <laughs> From rest yes, of yes. I'm ba blah, ba blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. Hey, dear readers. Have a good day. Have a wonderful day or evening or morning or good morning. Good night.